Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> that last song was one of my favorites, so that's a great way to start. Um, <clears throat> I've been nursing a cough for a few days, and so uh, bear with me. I've got some extra liquids up here, so if I have to pause, uh, we'll just we'll work through this together, all right? Uh, this morning, <clears throat> as Brett mentioned, is the first Sunday of the Christmas season, which we call Advent, and it's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, the word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which sounds very Latin-y, uh, and it means arrival. <clears throat> the weeks leading up to Christmas uh, are a time of anticipation, not just for presents under a tree. <clears throat> it's a time where we look back to Jesus' first arrival, which was the fulfillment of centuries of waiting and anticipation for the people of Israel. And at the same time, as Brett mentioned and John reminded us earlier, we look forward to Jesus' second arrival or advent when he will return to earth and set things straight once and for all. It's a season full of hope and love and peace and joy. Our theme this year for the advent season is the promise of Christmas. And if you're wondering what is the promise of Christmas, like many church, or questions that are asked in a church, the answer is, of course, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, different aspects of Jesus' identity uh, as the promised one. <clears throat> and each of those, we hope, will inspire us to uh, appreciate his arrival more and more. This week, <clears throat> we're going to look at uh, Jesus as the mighty God. And then in coming weeks, we're going to look at uh, Jesus as the Prince of Peace, as the light of the world, and as Emmanuel, or God with us. And our hope is that as we walk through these aspects of his character, uh, we will grow in our appreciation of who he is, and this time of year will become maybe more meaningful us, meaningful to us. Uh, we'll move from just thinking about celebrating the birth of a wonderful person, and instead start thinking about how wonderful and amazing it is that God himself entered our world and lived with us. This morning, I want to jump into uh, this idea that Jesus is our mighty God. Uh, that title comes from a passage in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet sent by God to the people of Israel during one of the darkest times in their history. Uh, after centuries of poor leadership by the kings of Israel, the people of God had fought, wandered so far from him that the only way that God could get their attention was to allow them to be conquered by some surrounding nations and then carried off into exile in a foreign land. In the midst of delivering this bad news to the people of Israel, Isaiah is inspired by God to offer some messages of hope to them. He reminds them that God will, at some point in the future, return his people to their homeland and he will also send an anointed one or a Messiah who will deliver them from all their oppression. He will bring them hope and peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. So in chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes this in verses 6 and 7. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, which is our word for this morning, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
So this Messiah King who would bring peace and deliverance to his people is called Mighty God. And the title suggests that he will have divine power to accomplish the deliverance of his people. He's not going to be any normal ruler. He's going to be God himself. There are a number of places in the New Testament where the New Testament writers make it clear that Jesus is this mighty God that Isaiah is talking about. And I want to look at one of those passages this morning in Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews is writing to encourage followers of Jesus who are being persecuted to continue in their faith and not return to their old ways of relating to God that they had when they were Jews. You'll notice that when I mention the author of the book of Hebrews, I call him the author instead of giving you an actual name. And there's a reason for that. Uh, Despite centuries of tradition saying that the Apostle Paul was the one who wrote Hebrews, uh, most scholars in the last hundred or so years have agreed that the author is actually difficult to identify, especially since he doesn't name himself in the writing, which most New Testament writers do, and since Paul always names himself when he writes, and that's not present here. Interestingly enough, slight sidebar here, uh, this issue became a point of controversy in the last couple weeks on the TV game show Jeopardy. Yes, some of you maybe heard about this. Uh, On the November 16th episode during Final Jeopardy, the, the question or the answer that was given was Paul's letter to them is the New Testament letter with the most Old Testament quotations. And the accepted answer, and the one that the winner gave, was, who are the Hebrews? At which point, the online world of Bible nerds erupted in protest. (laughs) Because the author of Hebrews is hard to identify, they argued, uh, Hebrews can't be the correct answer. It would have to be Romans, because that's the letter that has the next most references to the Old Testament, and is clearly written by Paul. So that should have counted. Uh, you can also make a case, depending on how you count Old Testament references, that whether he wrote Hebrews or not, Romans still has more references to the Old Testament than Hebrews does. So they were concerned that Jeopardy was wrong at least on one account, if not possibly two. And it created all sorts of hubbub on the internet for a couple days. So, side note for the the Bible nerds in the room. Uh, Rabbit trail aside... The author of Hebrews begins his letter by introducing Jesus as greater, yeah, it's exciting, than any other, he introduces him as greater than any other communication or communicator, messenger that God had ever sent to his people. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he writes this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So the author is reminding his readers that God has spoken to them through the prophets in a variety of ways uh, in the past. Isaiah is one of them that we just read. Uh, We have accounts in the Old Testament of God speaking through a burning bush. Uh, He spoke through visions. He spoke through a still small voice. He even spoke through one of the prophet's family circumstances. So his communication with his people has always been creative and varied. But in these days, the author says, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. And the language here indicates that Jesus was something more than just one more prophet in a line of prophets. 
He was the mighty God that Isaiah prophesied. He says that, this, that Jesus has the quality of being one who has uh, the, the qualities of being a son, so or nature of a son. He's unique among all the ways that God has ever create, uh, communicated to his people. The author then goes on, he, what he does, he gives us seven phrases that paint this picture of Jesus as being the mighty God that Isaiah prophesied. So I want to walk through these phrases. I'm not going to uh, talk about every word in every verse in the next few verses in Hebrews. Uh, but if you have a Bible, please feel free to follow along and see the context. But these phrases, I think, paint a wonderful picture. The first phrase calls him the one whom he appointed heir of all things. So this term, heir of all things, might better be rendered rightful owner of all things. Uh, in the New Testament, <clears throat> the term heir is often used to refer to somebody who's the rightful owner of something. And it doesn't always give a condition or qualification that makes someone an heir. <clears throat> in our own culture, we know that someone, for someone to be an heir, <clears throat> somebody else has to die for them to inherit the things that the other person owned. Uh, that qualification is not always given in the New Testament, and it wouldn't make sense here either, because if Jesus, the Son, is inheriting the things from God the Father, it's not possible for God to die, so that wouldn't make any sense. So I think what the author is doing here is he's using this term, rightful owner of all things, uh, as a term of honor that places Jesus uh, at the highest point of all of creation. The next phrase, through whom he made the universe, is a little more straightforward. Uh, as in many other places in the New Testament, like John 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, and Colossians 1, the author is presenting Jesus as the creator of the universe. Now, this is an amazing thought, that the child in the manger that we think about on Christmas is also the creator of everything that we see. Uh, Steve and Troy are going to talk a bit more about this in the coming weeks, but I think it's worth us uh, thinking about this morning that this is no ordinary baby that we're dealing with. It's God in the flesh or God incarnate, to use a more technical term. Christmas, in some ways, is less about the birth of a baby who would someday be a wonderful teacher and more about the coming of God into our world, the world that we inhabit. The next couple phrases, uh, they flesh out this idea even more. In the next, verse, or the next phrase, in verse 3, we read, The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. And the word radiance here can be used in one of two ways. It can mean shining because of an inner source of light, or it can also mean shining because of reflecting an external source of light. And I think the author has both senses in mind here. What he's saying is that Jesus shows or reflects to the world what God is really like, uh, both because of God reflecting that from him and because he is God himself. The idea here, <clears throat> which we'll get to in a moment, is that when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. And that's what the next phrase uh, gets at. He says that Jesus is the exact representation of his being. So the term exact representation comes from the world of engraving, and it has to do with putting a stamp on something. Uh, the word <clears throat> uh, for being is a little bit harder uh, to get at, but in a sense, it means uh, the nature of something, what makes something what it is. The, 
Revised Standard Version of the Bible uh, renders the phrase this way. He says that Jesus bears the very stamp of God's nature. So in other words, like I said, when we see Jesus, we see what God is really like. And Jesus himself made this claim in John 14. Uh, When Philip, one of his disciples, asked Jesus, would you show us what the Father is like? Jesus' reply to him were the words, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, personal aside here, uh, I think a lot of us go through seasons in life where maybe we feel distant from God. And like Philip, we want to ask Jesus, could you show us more of what God is like? And in those seasons, I think it's really important for us to remember that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And so when I've gone through seasons like that, I found it really helpful to spend time in the Gospels reading about what Jesus is like. And when I see what his character and nature is like, it reminds me that that's what God the Father is like. And it actually helps me feel closer to God. So if you're in a season like that right now, I highly encourage you to spend some time reading the Gospels and looking at Jesus, because I'm sure that God would use that to allow you to feel closer to him. All right. The author goes on to describe Jesus as one who is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So previously, the author presented Jesus as the one who created everything that we see. Now he's telling us that Jesus is also the one who sustains everything that we see. The idea here is that Jesus is carrying all of creation along throughout history. He's not just holding it in his hand, but he's moving it on through its journey throughout history. And he does this, the author says, by his powerful word. Uh, The word for powerful here comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamite. I think Pastor Tim has reminded us of that many times over the years. And the word word here uh, is maybe better translated command or order. So the idea here is that all of creation obeys Jesus' powerful commands at all times. The universe follows his orders in every moment. All right, so up to this point, the author has been giving us some descriptions of what Jesus is like in his nature. The last two phrases talk about what he's accomplished in his role as Messiah. The first phrase, he says that Jesus has provided purification for sins. Now, the language here comes from the Old Testament system of offering sacrifices to make people pure and acceptable or forgiven before God. And this kind of language would have made sense because the author is writing to a group that's primarily Jews. Uh, The word Hebrews is another way for saying Jews. And so they would have understood the language that the author is using. And from the author's perspective here, sin, which is that self-centered part of all of us, has a destructive nature to to it that makes us impure before an unholy God. It's the kind of thing uh, that leads to all sorts of destructive ways of relating to one another. And if left unchecked, it eventually leads to isolation from God and from others. So the author is wanting to remind his readers that through his death and resurrection, Jesus has broken the power of sin, and he's made it possible for us to relate to God and others the way that we were originally intended to. And this experience of being purified uh, is based on a completed action in the past. Uh, The Greek word for provided here is in a tense that indicates that this was a completed action in the past that has ongoing results in the future. 
uh, Jesus' work here was finished, which is wonderful. His work, his death and resurrection was the cleansing act that makes us clean from all of our sins. Finally, we're told that when Jesus had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So sitting is a posture of rest, and in the Bible, sitting at someone's right hand is a position of honor. So the picture here is that after providing purification for sin, Jesus sat down and his work was completed. It was finished. In fact, that's what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. And that's what he meant, his work in paying for sin. So now he sits at the place of highest honor, at the right hand of God the Father, or as the author said, the majesty in heaven. And of course, this is figurative language. We don't really know what it looks like for God the Son to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. But the point is that he sits or exists in a position of highest honor. In doing the work that he did, uh, he's proven that he himself is the mighty God, which is why the author finishes his thoughts in verse 4 with these words. He says, So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus' name or title of Messiah proves that he is above all of creation, and he is, in fact, the mighty God that Isaiah talked about in his ancient prophecy. So the question is, how does this idea that the baby in the manger is also a mighty God, how should that affect our experience and celebration of Christmas? Uh, I think most of us, if we're honest, actually kind of have a hard time of wrapping our heads around this idea that the baby in the manger is the creator of everything. And yet, that's the picture that we're given here in the scriptures. And I think it's worth wrestling with because I think there's a real richness to it. Uh, Christmas, again, is more because I think there's a a challenge in the Western culture. Uh, We tend to focus on the birth of the baby. And there was a real baby born on that night centuries ago. But I think Christmas is less about this famous religious teacher turning 2022 years old this year. And it's more about the God of the universe becoming a human being and living among us so that we could know him and we could know that he understands everything that we go through because he's lived and experienced it. So here's a couple of ideas uh, for this Advent season that I think maybe on a practical level would allow you to start to connect with this idea that Jesus is indeed our mighty God. And the first, uh, even though it's hard to wrap our eyes, ideas or our minds around this idea, uh, I think this should inspire wonder and awe, which should lead us to worship. Uh, for centuries, the ancient Israelites have been waiting and anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And when he finally came, he wasn't exactly what they expected, but he was more than they could have hoped for. Uh, He wasn't a political or religious uh, leader or even a a ruler like they hoped he was. But instead, he was God in the flesh. And he didn't deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire, which is what they had hoped for. But instead, he, he went one better. He delivered them from the power of sin so that they could experience God and relate to him in any circumstances that they would ever find themselves in. And I think that that is something that should inspire worship in us. 
Uh, one of the reasons that I love uh, the old Christmas carols and hymns more than maybe some of the modern uh, Christmas songs is because of the richness of the language and the pictures that they paint of this idea that Jesus is our mighty God. Uh, one of my favorites is the one called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which I heard rumor we'll be singing next week, so you don't want to miss it. <clears throat> uh, but in that, in that hymn, the author describes Jesus as born a child and yet a king. And it's this wonderful picture of Jesus being fully human and fully God at the same time. <clears throat> and I love that. To me, it always inspires me. Um, it's so encouraging, and it, it just it moves me to want to worship. So as you're creating your Christmas playlists this season, I want to recommend that you put a healthy dose of Christmas hymns and carols in your list. And then I want to encourage you to go one step further. Find the lyrics to those songs and either create a note on your phone where you can get to it easily or, or print the lyrics out. And as you listen to those songs, take time to read the words as you do so. There's something about seeing the words as you listen that help these ideas and truths sink into our minds and our hearts and move us to a point of worship. Uh, in a few moments, our worship team is going to present a song that uh, really captures this idea of uh, Jesus being both fully man or fully human and fully God. And my hope is that you'll read the words and you'll allow it to impact you as you listen. All right, the last takeaway, there's actually two sides of the, the coin, as the phrase says here. First, uh, the fact that the mighty God has come near to us in the person of Jesus should bring us great comfort. Uh, he's lived in our world, and he knows what it's like to go through the things that we go through. He wants to be with us, whether what's going on in our lives right now is wonderful or really challenging, and he can do both of those at the same time. Uh, one of my favorite pictures of this comes from John chapter 11, where Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the grave. Even though he knows that he's going to bring his friend back from death, He's able to enter into the grief of the sisters of this man, and he even weeps with them. Okay? It's this beautiful picture of him being present with us in the midst of the things that we're going through. <clears throat> Jesus wants to be with us, and he holds us in his mighty arms. He is our mighty God in those moments. The other side of the coin here is that we can respond to Jesus in trust when difficult things happen. Uh, in our lives. As I said earlier, we're not alone in those moments. And knowing that Jesus is more than just a good friend, but that he is the mighty God himself, allows us to move forward in hope. The one who is with us spoke the universe into being, and so he can help us in those moments. Sometimes he uses his power to change our situations, and he does that at times. But often, the more powerful thing that he does is he changes us as we walk through those situations. In Romans 5, uh, the Apostle Paul, actually the Apostle Paul in that case, tells us that God can use our suffering to produce something called perseverance, which then produces character and then produces hope. So even in our challenging situations, God can use those to produce in a character that lets us walk through them in a hopeful way. And hope is always much more valuable than a set of good circumstances. 
So in those moments, uh, when you experience those things, if there's something that you're going through right now, maybe that's challenging for you, I want you to know that God is with you and he wants to give you hope. He wants to develop in you a character that will let you see your situation in a hopeful way. So one way uh, during this holiday season to help us set our minds on the reality of who Jesus is so that we can trust him is to engage in some daily Bible reading. And this Advent season, uh, we're making available some daily devotionals that are actually the basis of the themes that we're using uh, for our sermon series. You might have seen these uh, in the gathering space when you came, and if you didn't, they're available uh, when you leave. We've printed 150 of them, and so we're recommending take one per family, unless you have maybe a large family, then, then grab two. There's also a digital version available for those of you who would prefer to download it. Uh, You can find the link on our events page on our website, or uh, I believe there's going to be a QR code on the screen that you can scan, and it'll download the devotional directly to your device. Uh, This is a great way to spend some time each day reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, that we can walk with him and trust him during this season. And my hope is that it does inspire worship and wonder and awe in each of us. So my prayer for us this week is that knowing that God, that Jesus is our mighty God, the baby in the manger, is the one who made everything, is something that God will use to give us hope for at least this week in the middle of this wonderful time of year. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that the night that Jesus was born more happened than we could ever imagine. Uh, That it wasn't just an ordinary baby in the manger, but it was you in the flesh letting us, for the first time, having a clear glimpse of what it is that you're like and also letting us know that you want to understand what we live through each and every day. God, thanks that Jesus is our mighty God and I pray for each of us this week that uh, whether things are wonderful or whether things are challenging, that you would remind us that that is who Jesus is, and that he's with us, and that we would trust you because you are able to either change our circumstances or change us and give us hope in the midst of them. Thank you for sending Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.